0: Well, my name is Matt Stefan, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I wanna start our time together with a question. It's a question about the human heart. Now, the Bible has some very interesting things to say about the human heart. For example, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the whole of life, Proverbs 4.23. And Jeremiah 17.6, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it. So one passage tells us that our whole lives flow from what is in our heart. Everything that we do or say or think flows from our heart. And the other tells us that not only is our heart sick, it's also impossible to understand. So the question is this, what is in your heart and how would you know? Just chew on that for a minute and we'll come back to it. Meanwhile, I wanna say that I'm genuinely thrilled that you're here on what is sometimes called Palm Sunday. We'll talk about that in a minute too. But you're very lucky that you're here today because we have not one, but two excellent Bible passages to work through. So elbow your neighbor and tell him you're lucky today and not just cause you're next to me. Now, one of these passages is our passage from the book of John, John 13. It's another meal passage with Jesus and we're gonna walk through it line by line here in a moment. The other is the traditional Palm Sunday passage that your campus pastor or campus host just read. A writer friend of mine recently told me that from a story craft perspective, that's a perfect story. And I wanna go on record right now and say that every theme in the Bible flows through one of these two passages. So we're gonna gain insight about who Jesus is and what he's up to and ultimately who we are. And you're even gonna learn how to spend the next seven days of your life But before we do any of that, I wanna talk to you about this brilliant human right here. This is my daughter, Margot. She's in the first grade, and she is a wonderful person and raging extrovert. They call her the mayor of my street. She knows more people than I do. And recently, she went through a phase of hitting her little brother, my son, Frankie. And that kind of thing can be normal for six and four years old, especially after you lock them in the house together for two years. But after a while, we decided to intervene. So we did what everyone would do. Once she hit her brother, we told her, if you hit your brother again, no college. Now we've saved a lot of money. Of course, that's not what we did, but we did say that we might have to take away some of her favorite toys as a consequence. And when it came to that, I went to her and said, Margo, for me, it's not about the toys. And actually, it's not even about hitting your brother. That just happens sometimes as a kid. For me, it's about what's in your heart. You've told me before, and I know in your heart, you really want to be a great big sister. But what else is in there? And I said, you know, maybe you're just tired or frustrated. But what might be in there that's keeping you from being the big sister that you want to be? And she said, okay, dad, and she gave me a facial expression that I think will one day grow into an eye roll. And then she went into her room and kind of moved on. But then a little bit later, she came out of her room with this. And I'm gonna show you a picture of it, and we're working on phonics in the first grade, so let me translate it for you. She wrote, here's a list of things to do when you are mad. Take a deep breath, stomp three times, Rip a piece of paper. Write your feelings. Scream into a pillow. This was an extremely proud dad moment for me. She went and looked into her heart and decided that she did indeed want to be a great big sister and that she would rather learn to deal with her tired, frustrated moments differently. And this is what we're going to learn from Peter today. Peter is going to come face to face with who God really is and is going to have to, one way or another, learn who he is and what is in his heart. So on to John chapter 13, and I'm going to be reading from our devotional, which has been a really good friend as we feasted our way through the book of John. And so John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Quite a bit here in verse 1. But the setting is a Passover meal. And the Passover is maybe Israel's oldest and most important story. It's a story about freedom. And so this passage here in John chapter 13 is a passage about freedom. And the original event called the Passover took place in the bit of the Bible called the Book of Exodus. Exodus. There, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and God demands that Pharaoh, Egypt's king, let him go. What was it that keeps Pharaoh from doing so? What is the obstacle to Israel's freedom? Well, it's Pharaoh's hard heart. And so God sends increasingly powerful plagues into Egypt to break through Pharaoh's hard heart and force him to let the people of Israel go. And finally, God has no other choice but to send his angel of death to take the firstborn of every house in Egypt. And God instructs the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on the doorframe of every house in Israel. And the angel of death sees the blood of the lamb and passes over their homes. Now, in Christian understanding, Jesus has become this sacrificed lamb whose blood saves us from death and brings us to freedom. Now, the book of John is organized around three Passover cycles across the three years of Jesus's ministry. So, in the first Passover, in John chapter 2, Jesus says he's going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. The temple is the place on earth where Israel understood God had promised to be. And destroying it and raising it in three days is, of course, a reference to Jesus's death and resurrection. At that Passover, Jesus is saying that through his death, he's going to change the location of God's presence, first by centering God's presence in his own self, and then through the sending of the Holy Spirit, he's going to make God's presence available everywhere. In the second Passover in the book of John, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and announces himself to be the satisfying bread of life. And here in the third Passover holiday cycle, we're going to see here in the book of John that Jesus performs a great and humble act of service. And if we just connect the dots of the three Passover scenes in the book of John, we see that Jesus is going to perform an act of service that changes where God is present and satisfies our souls and sets us free. That's who Jesus is and what he's up to. Verse 1 continues. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. N.T. Wright is the world's foremost New Testament scholar, and he encourages us to view this phrase, going to the Father, not just as Jesus' ascension back into heaven after his resurrection, but instead everything that happens between now and then as well. The trial, the cross, the resurrection, all of these form the path back to the Father. The cross is the gateway into God's presence. That's going to be important. Let's hold on to that. The cross is the gateway into God's presence. Verse one continues. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And here we see John's love for double meanings. This phrase, love them till the end, means, of course, he loved them to the very end of his life. But it also means that he loved them to the fullest degree. He loved them to the utmost. All that here in verse one. John 13, verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, it would be easy to get stuck here, but the important thing for us is to see that the intermingling of this act of service we're going to witness from Jesus and then this other story about Judas and Satan suggests to us that wherever the plot's going with Judas is connected to this moment here at the last Passover meal. John very much intends for us to connect the cross to this scene and to use this act of service we're about to read about to understand what Jesus is doing on the cross. So, John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the act of washing someone's feet is unmistakably the act of a servant. Back then, you might wash your own feet, but if someone else was doing it, it was because they were a servant. And here we come to the very heart of what this passage has to say about God. Jesus is the most powerful being in all of the universe. All things have been put under his power. Yet in addition to that, there are a couple of other important characteristics that you have to first and foremost say about Jesus, the king of all the universe. Not only is he all powerful, but he also loves to the utmost and takes the form of a servant. And here John is grappling with this important question. What kind of God is the God of the Bible? And if you're maybe not familiar with the Bible, you might've gotten the impression that God is maybe primarily violent or even cruel. But here John tells us, no, that is not who God is. The true God loves to the utmost and takes the form of a servant. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And when Jesus says later you will understand, he means it in at least three ways. First, it means that Jesus is gonna explain it in a minute. And what he's gonna explain is that this kind of foot washing is to be a way of life for Jesus followers. But second, when Jesus says this, he means you will understand after my death and resurrection. And here again, we're working with the association between this scene of foot washing and the scene of Jesus on the cross that the book of John intends for us. It intends for us to make that connection. Foot washing is unmistakably an act of a servant. And so too, later will Peter realize that the cross is an act of service rather than of punishment or defeat. But lastly, and this is the third way, and it's always in the background in the book of John. Jesus is saying later, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I said and teach you everything. Later, you will understand. And Peter says, Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And here, Jesus begins probing exactly what is in Peter's heart. So Peter objects to Jesus washing his feet, and we've got to ask why. Part of why he objects is simply that he's confused. He understands Jesus to be the Messiah, and as such, this kind of behavior is beneath him. And Peter is going to become, over the course of John 13, in the course of this talk, a paradigm for you and I. we got to see ourselves in Peter. And Peter's confusion points to our dependence on the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. When we're confused, we can ask the Holy Spirit, who teaches all things, to help us understand. But on the simplest level, maybe, Peter's heart and mouth just aren't matching up. He's willing to say something that he doesn't believe in his heart. His heart and his mouth aren't in the same place. He's trying to say the right things, but he's unaware of what was in his heart. John chapter 13, verse 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Jesus sets an example, and this word means model or pattern. And here we have to keep in mind that not only that Jesus is taking the form of a servant, but that he also loved to the utmost. That's what kind of God he is. He's not just performing a duty or performing an object lesson. He is doing this out of genuine love, and that is our pattern. Followers of Jesus are to be servants, full of love, out in the world, That is to be our mode of being, what we are known for. And yet, somehow, that's not what we're known for, is it? And that's not the case for Peter either. In just a few chapters here in the book of John, on the night that Jesus is arrested, the Roman centurions come to get Jesus and Peter assaults one of them, wounding him badly. And Jesus quite calmly heals the centurion and notices that Peter is unable to follow this pattern of loving service. There's three major themes going on in John 13. Who Jesus is, servant-hearted, loving to the utmost. What he's up to, setting us free. And the third theme is this invitation to see ourselves in Peter. Interestingly, the book of John mentions Peter far more than any of the other Gospels. And in the book of John, most of those mentions of Peter are concentrated in chapter 13 and after, as the story builds and comes to a climax. As the story continues, Jesus is exalted while Peter is examined. And as Jesus is probing the contents of Peter's heart and showing him how far he really is from being a servant willing to lay down his life, we ought to hear in this passage an invitation from Jesus to us to let him search our hearts as well. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Now sometimes the Bible can be complicated and sometimes it repeats itself and beats us over the head with a really obvious meaning. We gotta love each other. That is the example. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but later you will follow. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now in this section, I wanna focus for a minute on what Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But I wanna tackle them in the reverse order, so let's talk about this oath that Peter is swearing. Here this passage connects to the Palm Sunday passage you read at your campus. Now to understand the Palm Sunday story and how it connects to Peter here, it helps to understand Israel's relationship to Rome. Rome was an irresistibly strong empire and it ruled by violence. And Israel was a proud people with endless hope in their God. And so Israel seethed and lurched and suffered under the oppression of the Romans. And things often turned violent. In fact, about 100 years before Jesus' time and about 50 years after, there were violent, widespread rebellions in Israel against Rome. And in this Palm Sunday passage, the crowds praising Jesus as he enters Jerusalem Think that he is the Messiah and he will deliver them into freedom from the Romans, just as God had delivered them from the Egyptians. And they praise Jesus because they believe it is the Messiah's job to bring freedom from Rome, but he doesn't. And here, Jesus sets freedom alongside food and water. So let's talk for a minute about freedom and food and water. Freedom and food and water are essential for human thriving. And part of loving to the utmost and being servant-hearted out in the world is for us to ensure that all people have clean water and food security and freedom. That's simply part of the church's job. Followers of Jesus, we serve the world by offering these things. And it's easy for well-fed and free people to forget how important and essential they are. So we got to listen. When people cry out, when people groups ask for help in these areas, we got to listen to them. But Jesus is saying that freedom and food and water are incomplete by themselves. And it's a a big and grave warning to people who are free and well-fed that you have not arrived yet. There is a living water that quenches an inner thirst. There is a bread that brings true life. There is an inner freedom brought to us through the cross. And so, not only does Jesus not deliver freedom to Israel, he also says he will destroy their temple, this promise of God's presence and point of cultural pride. And by the end of this week, the crowd that praise Jesus, who might deliver Israel, will they crawl out? Will they call out, crucify him during his trial? Their praise turns out to be false praise, and Peter's oath turns out to be a false oath. Quite famously, Peter denies Jesus, just as Jesus predicts. And so the Lenten season, this season of preparing leading up to Easter generally, and Palm Sunday, today specifically, these are times for evaluating the falseness of our praise and the insincerity of our devotion to Jesus. Now, the other thing that Peter says in this passage is, why can't I follow you now? And again, here we see John's tendency for double meaning. We could hear impatience, or we could hear impetulence, and that might be part of it. But we could also read this as a diagnostic. Why am I currently unable to do this? Why can I not currently follow the pattern? And the answer, as we're exploring, is that Peter is in need of a new heart. Now, there's two ways that the contents of our heart become clear. And Peter is undergoing the first way. Through the ups and downs of life, God reveals what is in us. And you could be sure over the course of your life, it will be laid bare what is in your heart. And maybe for you, I know it is for me, often this is quite miserable. And we could be sure that Peter was quite miserable as he denied Jesus. Now, this first way can be transformative, but there's a second way which is to willingly invite Jesus to examine our heart. And this is where passages like Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 become quite powerful, especially during Lent. That passage says this, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of eternal life. You see, sometimes the Bible talks about the cross as a punishment that was meant for us, but that Jesus graciously substituted himself for. We're going to celebrate that next week. It's vital to understand that Jesus died for us. But sometimes the Bible talks about the cross in a way that makes very clear that when Jesus dies, we die too. Why can't I follow the pattern? Why can't we love one another? Why are we currently unable to follow Jesus? Well, it's because we haven't let God search our hearts. And it's because part of us still needs to die. The season of Lent is for looking and seeing what is in your heart. And Palm Sunday is for acknowledging the falseness of our praise. We've got to be real honest about ourselves. And that kind of honesty can be intimidating or even terrifying, but this is the power of the imagery that we are working with today. The Passover and who this God is and what is in your heart, it all comes together right here. Right when we're scared about what might really be in our heart, that's when we remember what kind of God we are dealing with, the one that loves you to the utmost, and the one that is setting us free from what is in our heart we must accept that this servant-hearted God loves us in a foot-washing kind of way and that will empower us to be brave and let him examine our hearts. The choreography of this week is well known. Jesus is on a journey to the cross. Today he enters Jerusalem and tomorrow he clears the temple. On Thursday, he'll sit down to this very Passover meal that we've been discussing. And on Friday, he is arrested and sent to the cross. Over the next seven days of your life, be with him on that journey to the cross. The cross is the gateway into God's presence. Remember where he is each day and ask him along the way, where is my cross? Where is it that I need to die? Jesus, will you search my heart so that I can follow the pattern, so that I can follow you? And knowing these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Be blessed, my friends. Let's pray. Jesus, it is with some trepidation and a lot of humility that we ask you to examine our hearts. Lord, we See ourselves in Peter, who in some place in his heart really wanted to follow you, but in some other very real way was unable to do so. God, will you show us the obstacles in our hearts that keep us from following you more faithfully? We love you, Jesus, and we surrender our lives to you. Amen.